if I wanted a business that was guaranteed to succeed, I would, you know, call up McDonald's and get a franchise. But I don't want to run a business out of a three-ring binder. The whole point is to try and do something new and, and try and solve problems. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. Ben Katz has returned to the world of political software. He built his first software company, Complete Campaigns, back in the earliest days of software as a service, grew it for about a decade, then sold it to Aristotle. After working for that firm for a while and not loving everything about it, he tried some other entrepreneurial ventures. But due to customer demand, he's now back with a new firm, IS Political, and a product designed to help campaigns of any party with fundraising, compliance, and more. Ben and I talked about the old days when our firms competed, about his path since then, and what he sees is different about the market for campaign software now. So, after a quick word from our sponsor, my interview with Ben Katz and IS Political. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from TimePlots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. TimePlot's library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. So, Ben, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Yeah, so I'm, I'm Ben Katz. I am a... California native, grew up in Oakland. I've been down in San Diego for now a little bit more than half my life. It's one of those cities that once you come to, you can never really leave. I got into politics from, you know, before even college, stayed involved in college. And I was uh, probably a, a lot like you, found that nice niche between that overlap between politics and technology. You did. What was college for you? Where'd you go? UCSD, uh, UC San Diego. Yeah, so that's what brought you down to the, that area. My wife did her master's, her one of her graduate programs there, and she loved San Diego. It's it's such a great town. It's good people, relaxing, beautiful weather most of the year, convenient to Mexico. Yeah. What was your first job out of college? Uh, my first job was before I got out of college. I, um, before I graduated, I started working on campaigns. I worked on an assembly campaign we lost in the primary. Uh, I went back to college full-time for one semester and then um, got recruited to work on a congressional campaign. Uh, sitting member of Congress, Bob Filner, who later uh, we ended up Becoming mayor and then recalling in a in a sex scandal. Ah, uh, those were the days. <laughs> so, um, yeah, a little bit of a gap between when I worked for him and 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 that. That was my first real job, and uh, you know, I graduated while I was working for him, and then continued to work for him for about a year. Yeah. Now he was a Democrat, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, liberal Democrat. When you worked in politics for those campaigns, did you only work with Democrats? Not only. Um, I, I worked for Democrats and uh, centrist Republicans. So after Filner, I had a consulting firm and I, I worked on a few different campaigns, doing accounting and compliance work, a lot of database work. I would work for both Democrats and moderate Republicans at the time. You know, San Diego at the time was a very conservative town and, and there was you know, there was a lot of races where there wasn't a, a, a viable Democrat in the race. So even though at the time I was a registered Democrat and a Democratic partisan, I, you know, I was also a pragmatist. I, you know, there wasn't much point in, you know, if there's no Democrat in the race who can win, you know, it made a lot of sense to, 
to help the better Republican was my attitude at the time. I remember San Diego being the largest town in California that still had a Republican mayor. That was you know, that was like three weeks ago. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> San Diego has changed a lot in the last twenty years, and we really had a, a tidal wave s- a switch over the last just couple election cycles. You know, the board of supervisors used to have five Republicans and no Democrats, and now it has three Democrats, two Republicans. The city council used to be majority Republican, and now it's got a supermajority of Democrats. It is not the same city it was when I started my campaign software company back in 97, you were either already out there or soon to arrive. I can't remember. A couple of years behind you. What was the founding story for that? Like you said, you had a consulting firm doing, you know, that intersection between politics and data tech, but when did you decide to turn it into a campaign software company? Well, yeah. So after a couple of years of of doing the the consulting work, and basically my niche was, hey, I had written this software that helped me do the fundraising, the compliance reporting, and the accounting. And so I used my own software to run this consulting business. And I realized two things. One was um, really three things. One was I liked the software part of it a lot more. <laughs> Two was there was there was clearly a big demand here. There was a need for for software, and three was I saw an opportunity to to deliver software over the internet. So when when I started Complete Campaigns, you know, at the time, now, now software over the internet's the norm. Uh, at the time, it was a strange things. We didn't even have good terms for it. Uh, so and and when I went out and sold it, I would I would actually delay on telling people that the software was delivered over the internet because it scared them. At the time, people thought that made their data less secure than if it was just sitting on their computer locally. And there are reasons that being connected to the internet makes things insecure, but generally having someone paying attention to the security of your data is a lot Exactly. Better than than having it in a local campaign office. We we did backups. They didn't. So that was one of the big differences. Yeah. Um, and your firm was called Complete Campaigns, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the arc of that firm. What was your entrepreneurial path there? It was bootstrapped. It was me, and you know, I got a little bit of money from friends and family. Um, built up the software. Had a lot of trouble selling it. I've realized over my career that I am a terrible salesperson. Um, I, I do okay, you know, on the phone. I can explain it pretty well when I get get on with, with clients. But I, I don't have that passion. I don't have that that killer instinct. Um, and so uh, that was our biggest challenge was 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 getting it out to to market. And there were some lean years. There was some some very tight times. Uh, there was a period, it was me and my business partner working out of uh, the breakfast nook of my kitchen. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, basically, you know, over 10 years, you know, we started, you know, really making a lot of traction, uh, growing the business. You know, meanwhile, I got married, had a kid. And then, you know, about 10 years in. Well, before you get to 10 years in, I want to ask a couple questions. What did you see the competitive environment like? Who, who did you compete with generally for sales back in that decade? So you, you guys were had a, had a huge part of the, the federal democratic market. Uh, we saw Aristotle on the federal Republican side. In California, there was a whole different list of uh, companies we were competing against. Um, Netfile being and still remaining the biggest in that space. Even today, I still think of our biggest competitors, you know, as uh, what I refer to as tap water. People using free solutions that are easily available to them. I, I, I don't know if you've heard the tap water story. Why don't you tell me? It comes from uh, Coca-Cola, some internal research as they were trying to figure out, you know, understand their their competitive environment and everybody oh who's coke's biggest competitor pepsi of course this internal research said no that's not right at all your biggest competitor is tap water it's easily available and it's basically free and you have to convince people to to spend a dollar or whatever it was at the time to to buy a coke 
that's something that we we see a lot in this space as we see people using fact file you know using excel to track uh donors and trying to convince them wait yes that seems cheaper but here's how it's really going to cost you i'd like to think that what we're selling is a lot better than a, a can of sugary water with caffeine in it but <laughs> it's the same challenge it's that same challenge of of getting people to recognize that spending money in the short run will make you money and save you money. Now, I had decided to only work with Democrats, and Aristotle had been around long before either of us and was working for both sides. And you also decided to not be a partisan firm. What, was there any decision in that for you, or that just made sense, business sense? You know, there was a, there was a couple of things. So while I, I'm an ideologue, I'm not a partisan. I, I realized that before I started Complete Campaigns, that I understand that why we have a party system. I understand how that works. But I also have some real concerns with the pressure the parties put, some of the unhealthy natures of it. You know, I, uh, I don't need to tell you about you know, Washington's farewell ex- address. So I didn't want to be tied to a party. I preferred uh, a little bit more flexibility. I preferred allowing my software and my tools to be used by anyone. And and I think a big part of it is also that I'm a real big believer in democracy. And it's not my job to decide who should win elections and lose elections. I think it's part of my job to facilitate democracy and facilitate making it easier for people to run campaigns and get out their message. And, and one of the things that that, that just kind of pains me is the compliance side of it. When I see small first-time candidates getting fined by local agencies because they didn't know how to fill out a, a, a 460 or they didn't realize the, you know, the late contribution requirement, uh, filing requirements, that, that's not healthy for, for the system. That's not you know, what we want. I'm pretty happy about, you know, regardless of what I think of a particular candidate's politics, having it so it's easier for people to run for office and file their reports and worry less about that stuff. There's also certainly, you know, I, some business reasons to it. It's software. The more clients, the the more uh, economies of scale, the better you can make your software. And, you know, I didn't want to be in a situation where I, I was saying to half, more than half, because you know, you've got greens and libertarians and so forth, of of the potential clients. Now, I'm going to just forget about that market um, because I like I like building solutions, and that that was really you know how can I build the best solutions I can. Well, you you said that you're a terrible salesperson, but you ended up selling that complete campaign software to I don't know, it must have been thousands of campaigns by the time you got through a decade or so of it. Is that right? I did. And, well, and I not really me. I, I uh, was lucky enough to find some people um, uh, to surround myself with, with skills that I didn't have. And, you know, as I, I put together a team that I, I found a director of, of support who uh, is much uh, friendlier than I am. I, I Found a director at sales who who's who's much better at that glad handling and and making pitches than I could, and you know in that way you know we we built a great company. And how large was it, to the extent you're willing to share, in personnel and revenue and stuff when you did sell it to Aristotle? I'm not going to get into the the dollars, but um, we were about 15 people when I sold it. Tell me about that process. What? Why did you decide to do that? Did you have competitive worries? Did they offer you a good price? Did you try to shop it to other people? What What was the? I'm interested in the in the entrepreneurship in the political tech area and sort of what people go through. And I've been talking to a lot of people more recently who who weren't at it when you and I were back in the day. Um, <laughs> tell me about how you thought about that exit. There was there was a couple of things going on. As I was saying earlier, I, I at that point I was I was married. I had a kid. To some extent, my priorities really had shifted. You know, when I when I started it, I loved that, you know, the adrenaline of of being an entrepreneur and the ridiculous hours and the problem solvings and you know, staying up to four a.m. to write code because something had to be fixed by the next day. Ten years in, I 
that's that's time away from my family and time away from my kid. We had gotten to a point where our technology stack was old. What was it built on? It was classic ASP. Um, and you know, .NET was around, and we were starting to run into real problems of uh, toolkits we'd want to use and, and did not work with our stack. And looking at doing essentially a full code rewrite, and I'm looking at the competitive market, and I'm seeing other people are on .NET already and you know, are able to use those toolkits. The combination of where I was personally, uh, the combination of what I saw would be some real challenges going forward. To be frank, also some mistakes I made. I was uh, more afraid than I should have been of of the competitive marketplace. Uh, I thought being on .NET was a massive advantage. Turned out it wasn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's an advantage, but having the right strategy, having the right attitude towards software development and how you treat your clients is a hell of a lot more important than your, your technology stack. But uh, Aristotle approached me. They made an offer that made sense to me, um, made sense to, to my business partner, and allowed me a chance to make sure my daughter's college was fully funded and I got some more time to spend with her. So it was the right offer at the right time. I know well that feeling of looking out at the competitive market and watching it closely and having it affect you. I certainly was alert to any time that we took a client from a competitor or uh, if one went the other direction, which actually in our case was very rare. But but uh, I, I remember it was very hard to get your clients. <laughs> we did our very best to hold them tight when we got them. With the years, with Aristotle in particular, we, we really drove them out of the democratic side of the market from where they had been probably equally on both before we really got going. And, but still, I, I, you know, I had that fear because you can, in software, you can kind of go from doing very well to watching things evaporate, at least theoretically, very quickly, right? And so there's always this, like, what's around the corner feeling. It's the sort of thing that 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 keeps you up nights, and you know, as you know, the you know the folks you you have on your staff, they in a small company, they're not just employees; they're family. Yeah, you don't want to have to lay them off. That would be a nightmare. I got very comfortable laying off people who deserve to be laid off. The worst thing, and I, I you know, only had to do it a couple of times in my 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 career, but laying off people when it's my failure rather than theirs is. Just it's the worst failing. I dodged that, but I worried about it. Tell me about we made some acquisitions when when I was in charge, and we've made some since I've left NGP. But what was that experience of being acquired like? Like you're you're into a company that had been your competitor, so you have to sort of adapt your thinking about them. How was the culture change? We were three thousand miles away, which you know, gave us some protection. In many ways, we maintained our culture as kind of a separate division in some ways. And, you know, the the feeling in the San Diego office was definitely different than the feeling in the DC office. I think most of my my staff was, was mostly um, protected against that culture change. For me, it was a big change. Um, having a boss <laughs> was not something I was used to. Uh, complete campaigns had a very um, anti-meeting culture. Meetings were the last thing we ever wanted to do. You know, we did them sometimes, but you know, we didn't have regularly scheduled meetings. We we didn't, uh, uh, you know, have morning calls with all the senior staff. Well, you're a 15 person company. You can communicate in a very different way. You can. There certainly is. It's a difference between a fifteen-person company and around a hundred-person company. So that's a different culture. It was tough, and there was a very different attitude about how you encourage people. There was a very different perspective on uh, priorities. There was some things that I probably should have expected, but um, uh, did not were not things that made me happy in terms of the, the environment. Um, what do you mean by a different attitude about how to encourage people? Well, every company 
depends on your staff doing their work. There are different ways to motivate people. You can motivate people based on promises, on based on fear, based on uh, crisis. Complete Campaigns was a very, you know, fun, relaxed family environment. You know, it was, it was very, you know, let's all chip in. It was a San Diego feeling. I think there's a there's a whole podcast about San Diego businesses and and the, one of the big culture differences between I saw between DC and San Diego was was work hours. We were pretty much a 9 to 5 shop. Why? Because people wanted to go enjoy living in San Diego. And DC I don't need to tell you has a very different attitude about work. You know, you go out to drink and then you're still working. You're still talking to clients and potential clients. And um, even when work stops, it doesn't stop in DC. And you would think, well, okay, people in DC are putting in way more hours. Of course, they're going to be more productive. What I experienced was the exact opposite. Um, uh, folks in San Diego wanted to get their work done and get it done right because the last thing they wanted you to do was get paged after hours and have to deal with this shit. So, a <laughs> lot, lot more crisis-oriented uh, focus uh, uh, with Aristotle. We were very uh, uh, avoid crisis, solve problems before they become problems, and certainly don't invent crises. And so, definitely some different attitudes on on how you work with your team. You said that there's also some difference in priorities. Have you already sort of spoken about that, or do you mean something different? There's a challenge always with with clients and you know maximizing. Obviously, you want to maximize revenue. You, we're businesses; we need to make money. We need to pay our staff. Um, and there's questions about how you how you work with your clients on that. You know how much you're focused on squeezing them for everything versus how much you're you're really focused on long-term relationships and partnership building. And one of the big mistakes I made with with complete campaigns was not raising prices. In hindsight, that was that was wrong. I you know, my clients I could have been charging them more and we just left prices the same always. Um, so actually it was definitely one of the things I learned from Aristotle was was a little bit better focus on charging what you're worth. But you know, I think there was also a lot with Aristotle with charging even when it costs you more to, to charge them than, than it would have, you know, send, sending out an invoice for $75 that took $85 in staff time to send it out. Um, so, you know, definitely some different attitudes. You know, and there, there's not one right way that, you know, Aristotle's a very successful business and, you know, they've, they've grown bigger than I ever was able to grow any of my businesses. So certainly not a criticism, but really just, just some cultural shifts to, to, to get used to. It sounds like though you there's something in you that feels like you ran a more enlightened business than they did in some way in some form or fashion. I don't know if enlightened uh you know we were warm and fuzzy. Uh you know it was it, it it was it was a great place to work. Um you know I'm still really good friends with a lot of my my staff from that that company regardless of where they are today. Um you know I I just had socially distanced drinks with my my uh, uh, director of support, uh, who now is at the UCSD library system. You know, so it was a great place to work. We were good to each other. We were good to our our clients. Complete campaigns, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but as in terms of uh, business success, and and that that is a important thing in a business. Aristotle kicked our ass. You know, they grew much bigger. They were more profitable. Um, so there was a lot to learn from that as well. Besides things you've already mentioned, what else did you learn from your time at Aristotle? How long were you with them and what were the main takeaways? I was there, it was either two or three years. I, I, I don't remember exactly which one of those it was. Your LinkedIn says two years, one month. Then that th then LinkedIn knows better than I do. <laughs> and you had the title CTO. I did, I did. And so one of one of the things I learned was was titles don't matter. So I was the CTO, but that certainly wasn't. Um, I was given a lot of responsibility. I was given a lot of respect, um, but my portfolio was was not what that title would suggest. There there was a, a director of software development who didn't report to me, for example. In terms of what I learned other than that, 
certainly I would have done differently if I could have gone back to complete campaigns. Uh, and I think the biggest one is was not being afraid of your competitors. I showed up there and I looked under the hood and suddenly this .NET software that I was so afraid of wasn't any better than than what we had been selling. I think you can really get in your head about your competitors and what they're going to do and how they're going to be able to come after you. And in hindsight, I should have just focused on what we were doing and, and doing the best job we could have. Well, my experience with competitors, despite anxiety about them, was running a company is not easy and they tended to make the mistakes. We made our share, of course, but other companies made enough so that the fear was rarely warranted. That, that's exactly right. And we, and we all make mistakes. And if you're focusing on your competitors doing everything right, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Because, yeah, if, if you have a competitor who has advantages over you and knows everything you know, plus has whatever advantages they have, they're going to be able to beat you. But your competitor doesn't know everything you know. And frankly, even if they know it, they may not understand it. Um, and that's one of the things that I've really recognized over time is I could sit down with one of my competitors and I could explain our business model in detail to them um, and all our, our best tricks. And they probably wouldn't, wouldn't steal any of them because they've got a different attitude and a different strategy and a different philosophy, and they're not going to copy you. I found very similar, and I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it extends out into many other markets beyond the ones that, that we've been in. You know, I think th that this, this notion that an idea is not worth very much, uh, you know, like people are always think, oh, I have this idea for a business. I can't share it. Someone will steal it. Well, the fact is it's, it's the doing of it that's the hard part. Right. Yeah. It, 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 it is all, all about the specifics of how you deliver. There's so much subtle differences there that, you know, two, two, three, four, five companies all in the same space where if, you know, that one line sentence of what they do is identical, they're going to be very different companies. What do you think you've learned about political entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship in the political space? It, well, so I love this space. Um, I love it because of the customers, not for the reasons that that probably a lot of other people love it because of the customers. I, like we discussed, we're a nonpartisan company. The love isn't because of you know they they've got this passionate idea that that I'm helping. I love it because they're fundamentally decent people who aren't caught up in a lot of garbage. This is both sides of the aisle. It's, you know, I, I still fundamentally see, you know, the people on the ground running campaigns, the vast majority of them mean well. But also, they're working on the ultimate deadline. You know, you've got an election coming up. You're going to win or you're going to be fired. And that certainly creates some stress for them, but it also creates this great focus and and you know i've i've tried uh selling into different markets you know businesses nonprofit government everybody else loves to have meetings and discuss things and you know six month sales cycles that that end in no decision and you know if there's a problem they want to have meetings about that and with campaign folks it's can you solve my problem great if not Leave me alone. I've got to go deal with another way to solve it. And it just makes them kind of the, the best, best clients. But it also makes it a very weird industry. You know, a lot of the things that work in other industries don't work. Um, I mean, you and I have seen Silicon Valley after Silicon Valley startup try and come into the space. And, you know, they fail one after the other. And I think it's because they're trying to take the lessons of, you know, that work for selling to, any other space and bring them to the space and it, they don't translate well. Um, there are really some special, unique th characteristics about serving these clients. What do you think is the most central of those differences in the political market? I think that the biggest one is that ticking clock. And that really changes a lot of, of the attitudes there are certainly th other things about it that make it an interesting market, a somewhat unique market. But, you know, things like, you know, 
relationship building and kind of the the, the viral nature of sales that is um, that's certainly not unique to the space. There are other spaces that that would apply to. The partisanship obviously does does create some very unique things. You obviously saw with with, with NGP really the the opportunities to use that as a as both obviously it was it was a philosophy for you, but it was also a business decision and it was a strategy for for growing your business and and maintaining your 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 clients. So you know those sort of things really make changes. I think the other thing is is there's definitely a a club here, and I you know. I think when we see people try and come into the space who really don't understand campaigns, whether or not their software is good, it's a very hard sale if you've never worked on a campaign. Why did you leave Aristotle? And did you have a non-compete? Is that what kept you out of the market for a while? So you've come back in more recently. What what was the path there? So, uh, you know, I, I put in a couple of years. I wasn't having fun. And I wanted to try some new things, and I had some ideas for for a software platform. And uh, so I left and started a company doing one of the ways I've I've kind of described what we do here is is it's micro enterprise software. You know, there's this idea of enterprise software that does everything for a big company. Um, so this is software that does everything for a small company, or in this case, a political campaign, a small organization. So I was interested in in that concept in other spaces. So I built a platform and and uh, tried um, going after a few different markets. We we did uh, software for hairdressers, uh, for midwives, you know, a couple other places too. Uh, did some stuff for uh, for nut uh, processors, and so that's what I did for a couple of years after I I left Aristotle. Was 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 trying make that in. And I have to admit, none of them worked. <laughs> Turns out uh, every one of those markets that I tried, I uh, just couldn't hit critical mass or ran into unexpected challenges. Uh, midwives go out of business constantly. So I would not recommend it to anyone trying to sell to them. It's pretty much as fast as we would make sales, we would lose a client because that midwife was uh, out of the space. Uh, so... You know, one of the interesting things about entrepreneurship is if you've had success with one company, you've obviously learned a lot, but it doesn't mean that the next one is going to work, the next idea. There's absolutely no guarantee of that because there's so much to the choice, the market, the timing, good fortune, the competition, you know, all of those crazy factors that that you don't have under your control. That's exactly right. Yeah, and and you know, and I knew when starting up these businesses, you know, the, that I didn't know if it would succeed. It, you know, that's, you know, if I wanted a business that was pretty guaranteed to succeed, I would, you know, call up McDonald's and get a franchise. But I don't want to run a business out of a three-ring binder. The whole point is to try and do something new and and try and solve problems. While the business didn't work, you know, midwives really did need a good solution for medical records, and the stuff that was built for hospitals and doctors didn't work well for them. There's no guarantees, but certainly the past lessons help. I was more likely to succeed in some ways because of what I knew. I certainly was able to build software. Um, I was certainly able to, you know, deal with things like HR and 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 accounting and you know, have some ideas about sales and marketing and, you know, Google AdWords that I wouldn't have had if I had never done it before. Uh, but absolutely no guarantees. What's sort of the founding story for IS Political? Um, so the founding story for that was I, you know, by that point, I had been doing various software development and consulting. I I had uh, several failures under my belt, you know, including one in the... Uh, Nonprofit space with the charitable donation platform. Um, actually, uh, some friends of mine had. I'll, I'll tell you a quick side story here. Um, uh, so I had a platform to make it very easy to make charitable donations. It you know gave a directory of of, of nonprofits, helped rate them, helped evaluate them. And some friends of mine here in San Diego had kind of a similar idea, except for they weren't limiting it to uh, 
nonprofits to, to nonprofits. You could give money to, to anybody for any reason. And I thought it was an absolutely terrible idea. Who's going to give money to non-vetted random strangers for whatever reason? Uh, you know, how do you know it's not fraudulent? So um, my business was, was a failure. Um, and uh, their business, um, you, you probably heard of GoFundMe. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that did make it pretty big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, with with I was just completely wrong about uh, about uh, what were the criteria for people to give money, and and it was not that it was a well vetted nonprofit. <laughs> it's good to find humility out there. Yes, yes, and 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 they're good guys, and and uh, I'm very glad for their success. Um, <laughs> though I I do wish that wasn't our primary medical uh, insurance system in the country. Um, so, um, so yeah, I had done a few different things, and at the point, you know, I had um, a, you know, small software consulting firm and a few clients, and you know, I had a, I had a fine life. I you know, and I I could have kept doing it forever and certainly had no plans to get back into political technology. And I got a series of calls and they were all about the same time. And the big one was Aristotle had decided to finally kill the complete campaign software. It was ancient. It, it needed to be taken out and shot. No criticism of, of them for it at all. But um, a lot of the users were not comfortable with with what they were launching and, and, and felt it had a lot of issues and, you know, that it was actually certainly was built on newer, better, faster technology. But in terms of actually doing what they needed it to do, they saw it as a step down. So I got a series of calls um, all within about a month. And it was, hey, will you get back into the space? Have you thought about getting back into the space? And every one of them, I said the same, no. I don't want to get back into this space, but it, you know, it was a critical mass, and I I did the 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 numbers, and you know, I looked at it, and I said, okay, I'd be stupid not to do this. This is this is a business set up for me to get into, and these are all your old customers wanting yeah. to to come back to your fold. Yeah, it was the field of dreams, right? If you build it, they will come. I had those guarantees, or you know, at least those promises. And you were out of your your arrangement with Aristotle so that you you were safe to do that I think yeah I was I was you know it, it, this wasn't one of those cases where I was counting the days till my non-compete ended my non-compete had, had been over for a while you know these were folks that yes they were my old customers but you know uh, they were friends they were folks I loved working with I loved you know getting their calls and and hearing about the problems they had and going oh I know how I can make that better so you know I, I decided to get back into the space that's how uh, Integrated Solutions Political was uh, was started. Who is Mitch Gingrich? So Mitch was a former employee at Complete Campaigns. He went on and worked for for Aristotle. You know, shortly after um, I started uh, is political. You know, reached out to him because uh, he had skills I didn't have. He's he's a sales guy. He knows how to you know drive business and work those relationships. And, you know, I get on a phone call with a client and I'll have a great conversation, but I'm exhausted afterwards. And, you know, he's, he's one of those people who, who after a great call wants to pick up the phone and do another call. Um, where I'm like, I want to talk to nobody for, for at least an hour. Introvert, extrovert. Yeah. So, so he, he was a great person to be able to work with again. Tell me a little bit about how it's worked now that you you re-entered the market. How is it different than the market was pre your sale of your of complete campaigns? So you know the market the market's shockingly similar. Um, you know for our, compliance our, and fundraising and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the you know our our three biggest competitors after Tapwater are you know NGP Van. Um, the only biggest difference now is the name. Uh, <laughs> Aristotle and uh, here in California, Netfile. You know the competitive landscape's not that different. I feel like we're kind of kind of doing the same thing w- once again. Uh, the technology's massively different. I'll go a little bit further back than Complete Campaigns. The software I built pre-Complete Campaigns when I had the consulting business, I had to write in PCL. Did you ever do PCL? No, I did not. 
So printer command language. So if I wanted to draw on a piece of paper, you know, this was this Hewlett Packard language for, you know, put the put the dot here, go over 50 pixels, turn right and go down. And then, you know, with complete campaigns, early days of the internet, I remember when we wanted to do a calendar picker, we had to write the complicated code to do a calendar picker. And now, you know, you use something like jQuery and it's, you know, dot picker. You know, it's like, it's not even one line. It's 12 characters. What's changed is there is so much out there that makes it easier to build. You want to send an SMS, here's this, you know, this service you can integrate with and their toolkit for sending those. Um, you know, there's APIs. The FEC has massively improved their APIs over the last really, you know, five, six years. So there's a whole lot more we can do with, with how we deal with the FEC. Um, and some of the states are getting better. Software development has become a lot more about architecture and a lot more about integration with the right tools. We can do a lot more, a lot easier. The biggest challenge now is doing it right, is is actually figuring out how to deliver it to your clients in a really clean, easy, useful way. And a lot of signal-to-noise problems, you know. There is a tendency among software developers of, ooh, let's just add something. And that's not always the right answer. It's 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 often, well, wait, is anybody ever actually going to want to not check this box? Well, if there's never a reason not to check the box, don't include the box. And then the other part of it that's changed a lot is I used to be really proud of the stickiness of our software. This was the early early days of the internet, and a lot of these sites were talking about people come and spend 30 minutes on our website. Now, obviously, they were websites, and we were a web application. But you know, I go, well, people spend about 12 hours on our, our website. Um, one of the things that that I've realized is actually um, we can do a lot for clients when they're not on the site. You know, so we've done a lot more automations. We've been doing um, work with AI to try and um, make it easier for our clients to do less work and really just leave the harder, more interesting work to them. And, you know, there's some things we can't automate. We can't automate typing in a check. Uh, you know, you, we, we don't know how much you want to send that vendor. But we can automate contacting donors for missing occupations and employers. And then when they respond, we can have AI parse their email, and automatically enter that in as the occupation and employer. So, you know, that there's no way we could have done that 20 years ago. So people are pretty loose with the term AI, and sometimes it means just like, I don't know, essentially if-then statements that, you know, find a particular case and do something. What is it that is truly artificial intelligence that you're employing. I will admit we are a bit loose with it too. There, There is a lot of what we market as AI that really just automation scripts because that's what our clients need. And there's a lot of it, which is, um, you know, my business logic, you know, put into those scripts. So it's, it's been intelligence. Um, but then there, there is definitely some AI we've got with pattern uh, recognition and learning. Um, so, you know, that, that email, the, the occupation employer is a great case example of it. So what we're doing is the process is pretty straightforward. We look for needed occupations and employers. We send out that email to the client, the, to the donor requesting it. And then they're responding in free form email. So trying to recognize, you know, that they say, you know, I, I'm an engineer and I, I work for Lockheed Martin. We got to pull out engineer and Lockheed Martin from that statement. So basically what we have is a process of when there is an exception, when there is something we haven't been able to parse, we bring in some human labor and then that helps the, the AI logic um, improve its ability to, to parse these, these, these messages. So we can, over time, we've been able to almost completely eliminate the need for, for staff to review any of these. To what extent do you 
integrate yourself into the political tech ecosystem on the two sides of the aisle, like passing data to other CRMs that people use or working with, you know, other technology vendors. How do you handle that? Because your application is sort of a subset of the tool set that a lot of campaigns would need. Yeah, we integrate with pretty much any credit card processor out there. You know, WinRed, ActBlue, Anadot, several others, including several that are not particularly political in nature, but still have been popularized or more in the nonprofit space, but but some campaigns will use them. Beyond that, our integrations are overwhelmingly uh, with folks who aren't political, you know, integrating with Dropbox, integrating with MailChimp, you know, the, the, the folks we, we really like to integrate with are tools that are really useful and really tie in well to our product, make our product better. But, you know, there's not a whole lot of value for us to, to integrate with a lot of the other providers out there, mostly because, um, there's just not a lot of overlap. The voter software and the the finance soft is there a little bit of value to putting them in the same system and having some conversations back and forth? A little bit, but not a lot. And it's different people doing the work, um, and and so it just has not been a priority. Well, some of the sort of voter file type places might want to add the compliance aspect and might might not want to take responsibility for it. I mean, I saw, for instance, that PDI out in California had a link to to you on their site. And I had talked to someone there recently about it. What's happening there? We did a um, basically a gray label with PDI. They they were interested in in that that process and uh, you know getting into that space. It's it you know it it's been somewhat valuable, but. There was never a deep integration there, um, and and PDI is going through some transitions, as I'm sure you know. Well, they sent out a note saying they're they're going to become partisan, or they're becoming a partisan firm. Yeah, yeah, they are now a fully democratic firm, and they're you know we 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 had some conversations with them about that, and for at least right now, um, uh, we no longer have a that gray label relationship, and and as they figure out you know, what makes the most sense for them in this. They focus on this new business strategy. I want to ask you about your website. Your website is a quirky and it's, uh, it's a lot about philosophy. What is driving that presentation of company? Uh, is that you? Is that Mitch? Is that? That's Mitch. Mitch and I have talked a lot about philosophy. And I, I think, I think that is a big part of who we are as a company is the philosophy is that, we are really, really passionate about listening to our customers. 90-something percent of our software development starts because a client sends in a request or a problem. So it is a very customer-driven model. You know, We don't have this sort of a, a grand vision of where we're going. We have some of that, but much more of where we're going is based on a very agile software development model. Put something out, get client feedback, Iterate, iterate, iterate. And, and, and so that means I couldn't give you a good answer of, of what new features we'll have in six months. I have some ideas, but there's a very good chance that what I'm going to see and, and where we're going to be is going to be very different based on what we're seeing from our clients. So yeah, that philosophy is big. And I, I think that really sets us apart from, from a lot of other companies. But in terms of the presentation, that that's all Mitch. And, and that's great. That's, you know, one of my one of the biggest lessons I've had over, you know, running now five different businesses is surround yourself with people who have skills you don't have and let them do their jobs, support them in doing their jobs. Mitch is better at me than figuring out that sort of messaging and what to put there. We, we, just, we just had a conversation the other day about exclamation marks. <laughs> and I'm like, what is enough in a paragraph, right? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. Exclamation marks are great. More the better. <laughs> um, That's like well, the direct okay. mail philosophy there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've learned enough that says, okay, he, he knows 
this better than I do. And as much as that seems weird to me, um, he's the <laughs> expert. Um, he's not going to tell me how to write code, and I shouldn't tell him how to how to how to write a uh, copy. Well, and the truth is, the number of exclamation points is unlikely to make a huge difference in the direction or success of the business. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, the, and 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 you know, to jump back several steps in our conversation, the early days of of complete campaigns were really hard because I sucked at that, and you know, it was only when I brought in folks uh, who understood that a lot better than me that the business really started growing that's why i was really glad to to have mitch join me on this and and why we've been able to grow the way we have although i do see a pattern of non-salesy non-extroverted tech entrepreneurs doing pretty well by attending to the excellence of a product rather than the excellence of a sales force. Absolutely. Yes. You know, there's kind of two different strategies I've seen in, in, in successful businesses is you're either focused on the product and the customer relations or you're focused on sales. Definitely, we fall into that first category. But at the same time, you need salespeople. You need people who, who have those skills and those talents to get that message out there. There's different times in a market. You know, we talked about different times, different competitive landscapes. There's probably points where you can you can take over a market on fully on that word of mouth relationship building um, really quickly, especially if there's some big weaknesses in the market, um, some big opportunities. Right now with this space, there's software and it's decent to good, so there isn't the same level of vulnerability. You know, I, I I'll tell you that I think our software is significantly better than anything else out there. If Netfile r- regularly made math errors on compliance reports, we'd have a huge opportunity. But they don't. Netfile is a good company. Those reports are are solid. Now we've got about fifty major features they don't have, but the pain isn't so great that there's an easy viral opportunity there. And I think that's where sales comes in because there really has to be an explanation of why what you think is fine is not even close to how good it could be. Nobody's contacting that file and saying, when are, when are you going to have an AI that sends out occupation employer emails for us? But it's not the sort of thing that somebody out of the blue would come and ask for. And I think that's that's the difference in the opportunities and the sales strategies. So how is your company doing now? We're doing well. We're we're growing nicely. Um, we've got you know all the early stuff worked out. The software runs well. Uh, the clients are happy. We've got a good team. Uh, so you know at this point it's a lot of you know just getting the mo- message out and 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 making sure that that we can. We can let people know about what they're missing out on. So, yeah, it, 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 it's kind of a well-oiled machine right now. How big of a team is it? Uh, so we're, we're getting pretty close to that size I sold uh, complete campaigns at. So we're, we're, right, we're, we're past a dozen, uh, moving in on 15. We'll almost certainly be continuing to hire over the, the next cycle um, and building the team and, and building some redundancies and uh, – you know, getting getting to that point where I can more easily take vacations. Where do you want to take it? I mean, you said you don't necessarily you're you're doing a lot of agile stuff and you're sort of feeling what the market needs. But in your head, what would you like this to turn into in the next five to ten years? It's kind of two different ways we could approach that. We could talk about it from a a product standpoint, but we can also talk about it from a company standpoint, and. I'm not that worried about it from a product standpoint. You know, I, I, I love the Agile model. I, I love just basically listening to our clients. And it's, it's not a listening from a, here's the feature they asked for, but here's the problem they're facing. So that brings me joy is, is you know, talking to a professional treasurer and, you know, talking to a fundraiser and, and having them say, I got exhausted and missed a late contribution report that was due. I feel like a moron, but my client got fined. Often they'll come with a particular solution 
and I I take this solution and but but focus on the problem and oh well we can build in automation that reminds you when you need to file these reports you know we can build in error checking that specifically is looking at FEC RFAI RFAI letters and uh, make it so our clients are getting fewer of them because we're checking specifically for what we know the FEC is checking for. So I love that. And and so that's my main focus software is just to keep doing that, to keep listening to the clients, keep solving problems. There isn't any sort of, oh, we want to go into you know this particular software. Uh, feature set. I mean, we've talked about different things, you know, on fundraising, on, on on data. It's more just listening to the clients, and and then you know the other half of it is the company. And this isn't quite the same company complete campaigns was. For one, we don't have an office, uh, so you know there's there's no bocce ball at lunchtime. But you know, make it a good place to work. Make it a place that that my employees are well taken care of, and make it a place our our clients are well taken care of. Yes, it's a job. Yes, you're going to spend a lot of your time here. So it, it should be pleasant. And then we should let you go at, at, at close to five o'clock as possible to go live your life and you know enjoy the beach. I want to ask you the kind of question about partisanship from a different angle now, because it's one thing that definitely separated you from me early on. And I guess it's just a difference of philosophy. And I, and I think your, yours is a perfectly uh, good way to approach it. But for me, the Republican Party under Trump has become a bit of a different animal and and one that I find alarming in anti-democratic tendencies. And and I want to stay away from it uh, much more than the Republican Party of yore. Is that something that you at all have to cope with? Or do you feel like you, you kind of just working locally and doesn't matter that much? It has always been a question from the early days of complete campaigns of what about clients that that you know I find repugnant. I can't claim that there aren't aren't folks that we've had as clients where I'm like, wow, that's that's quite the statement you're making. I've found a place that I'm comfortable with, and that is that I'm not the decision maker, and the DNC is not the decision maker. You know, we 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 had that that um, DNC blacklist that happened. I don't um, know about that. What was that? The DNC uh, had a rule about that any consultant who worked with a um, I'm sorry, this might have been a DCCC rule. Any consultant that worked with a challenger. To a Democratic incumbent. Yeah, that's that um, was the D Triple C, and yeah, they just erased that. Actually, they did. They did. Yeah. And, and it was probably and a bad idea. It was a terrible idea. Uh, let me be clear here. I, I totally understand partisanship. I understand that. That's not a partisanship question. That's a incumbency within the party defense question from an institution that was charged with protecting incumbents and winning. But so, how do you connect that to to your? those sort of things of partisanship and and protection and deciding you know who's acceptable to work with and who's not acceptable to work with if i can go back to to pre pre complete campaigns days um, i remember the the local democratic party here in san diego in the same meeting endorsed an anti-choice anti-gay rights Democratic incumbent and censured a club for supporting a Republican in a race where there were no Democrats. And, you know, I understand these tough decisions. The The best way for me to do this was to say that's not the role of a software company. It's not the role of my software company. We will work with anybody. We're never going to have to worry about somebody saying, well, we don't want you working with this this Democrat because they're challenging an incumbent, or we don't think you should work for that person because you know they have this particular view that we find unacceptable. You know, our line is we provide software, we make it easier for people to run for office, and we hope the democratic process works. Um, and you know. We can have a longer conversation about uh, uh, democracy, but I come down to uh, uh, the Winston Churchill rule on that. Uh, 
I think it's perfectly reasonable. How is the competition different on the two different sides of the aisle for you? That's one of those questions that I think Mitch would be able to answer better than I can. Um, uh, you know, I mostly stay out of that. I focus on building the software and, and trust him and his team to do that. Yeah, I hear a little bit about differences. My experiences, I, you know, I, I haven't seen. Obviously, they're different companies. Obviously, there's some differences in products. To me, I, it doesn't seem that different. It's people looking for solutions to, to how they're going to get their bookkeeping done and their reports filed. Yep. Makes sense. Is there a question that I failed to ask that I should have? Um, not that I can think of. This has been a fun conversation. It's been fun for me too. It, it reminds me of the early days of my company and, and competing with you. And that was a fun time. Those were good years. I like my current company, but I, I've never had as much fun as I had at, at Complete Campaigns. It, it, to be a, a young entrepreneur building something for the first time with a great group of people around you is, is, is something special. Um, and I've got a great team now, but I'm a lot older and, and less, less energetic these days. Yep. Now, you can't necessarily capture lightning in a bottle quite the same way again. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Uh, anything else you want to say? No, no. Thanks for the time. And uh, I appreciate you, you having me, me on the show. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. It's fun. So that was Ben Katz. Ben is at ispolitical.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in the places where podcasts are found.